I don't know how much time I have here, you know, and so how can I make use of that time in a way that is going to be impactful, that is going to matter, um, and that is going to leave something behind after I'm here for my children and my children's children and their friends and whomever to, to, to feel like they can find some level of peace and sanity and love. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. I'm your host, Nick LaPara. And on this show, I have conversations with all kinds of amazing humans that have two things in common. They give a damn and they're striving to live meaningful lives. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up today. I'm so incredibly glad you're here. A couple of days ago, Pope Francis gave a video address to the World Meeting of Popular Movements. He shared some remarkable words of challenge and of hope And I wanted to share some of them with you before I get to introducing our guest this week. If you want the full text, check out the show notes. I'll have the link in there. But here are the parts that really spoke to me. He begins his video address with these words. Dear social poets, this is what I like to call you, social poets. You are social poets because you have the ability and the courage to create hope where there appears to be only waste and exclusion. Poetry means creativity, and you create hope. With your hands, you know how to shape the dignity of each person, of families, and of society as a whole, with land, housing, work, care, and community. Thank you, because your dedication speaks with an authority that can refute the silent and often polite denials to which you have been subjected, or to which so many of our brothers and sisters are subjected. But thinking of you, I am convinced that your dedication is above all a proclamation of hope. Seeing you reminds me that we are not condemned to repeat or to build a future based on exclusion and inequality, rejection or indifference, where the culture of privilege is an invisible and insurmountable power and where being exploited and abused are often common methods of survival. No, you know how to proclaim this very well. Thank you. He continues speaking to social poets for a few paragraphs, but a few paragraphs later, he shares these powerful words. This is where it gets really good, I think. I ask all the great pharmaceutical laboratories to release the patents. Make a gesture of humanity and allow every country, every people, every human being to have access to the vaccines. There are countries where only 3 or 4% of the inhabitants have been vaccinated. In the name of God, I ask financial groups and international credit institutions to allow poor countries to assure the basic needs of their people and to cancel those debts that are so often contracted against the interests of those same peoples. In the name of God, I ask the great extractive industries, mining, oil, forestry, real estate, agribusiness, to stop destroying forests, wetlands, and mountains, to stop polluting rivers and seas, to stop poisoning food and people. In the name of God, I ask the great food corporations to stop imposing monopolistic systems of production and distribution that inflate prices and end up withholding bread from the hungry. 
In the name of God, I ask arms manufacturers and dealers to completely stop their activity because it foments violence and war. It contributes to those awful geopolitical games which cost millions of lives displaced and millions dead. In the name of God, I ask the technology giants to stop exploiting human weakness, people's vulnerability for the sake of profits without caring about the spread of hate speech, grooming, fake news, conspiracy theories, and political manipulation. In the name of God, I ask telecommunications giants to ease access to educational materials and connectivity for teachers via the internet so that poor children can be educated even under quarantine. In the name of God, I ask the media to stop the logic of post-truth, disinformation, defamation, slander, and the unhealthy attraction to dirt and scandal and to contribute to human fraternity and empathy with those who are most deeply damaged. In the name of God, I call on powerful countries to stop aggression, blockades, and unilateral sanctions against any country anywhere on earth. No to neo-colonialism. Conflicts must be resolved in multilateral forays such as the United Nations. We have already seen how unilateral interventions, invasions, and occupations end up, even if they are justified by noble motives and fine words. This system, with its relentless logic of profit, is escaping all human control. It is time to slow the locomotive down, an out-of-control locomotive hurling toward the abyss. There is still time. This, my friends, is moral clarity. This, my friends, is speaking truth to power. This, my friends, is how we give a damn. The video continues to go on for quite some time. I just picked out the parts that really spoke out to me. I urge you to go read the entire text again in the show notes. But this is how we give a damn. We call it out and then we do something about it. I hope that those words were as helpful to you and for you as they were for me. Also, I really like Pope Francis. I always have. Not a perfect human or Pope because no one is perfect, but my goodness, this Pope most definitely gives a damn. Okay, now for this week's guest. Y'all are in for a treat. Joel Leon is an incredible human, performer, storyteller, author, poet, father. If you follow Joel online, then you are most likely helped and encouraged on a regular basis by his words of hope, his words of encouragement, his affirmations, and so on. I have lots of guests on. If you do follow the show, then you know this. I have lots of guests on where we talk about big ideas, hard things, the overwhelming issues, and problems in the world. I wanted to have Joel on so we could take a little bit of a break from all of that and just feel helped and hopeful for an hour. We do talk about some big ideas and issues, but I think his story and life and work will encourage you in so many beautiful ways. A few things before we jump in, quick things to note. Please check out the show notes at letsgiveadam.com for links to his fantastic TEDx talk on co-parenting. You'll also find a link for his God Bless the Poets crew neck, 
with all the proceeds going to the Audrey Lord project. And lastly, check out the show notes for a link to Joelle's latest spoken word album called Soundtrack to a Riot. It's fantastic. Before we jump into this beautiful conversation, a quick reminder that you can anytime and for any reason email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, anything really. I just love hearing from you. And now without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with Joel Leon. Let's go. Did you say what the new job was that you're starting? No, I or did not. not. So I'm start. I um I'm gonna be joining the New York Times. Um, I'm gonna be a creative director as part of their T Brand Studio. And T Brand is like their in house. It's their in house marketing. Yeah, agency. yeah. So yeah, like nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. Is that like a? Is, is there a lot of freedom in that, or is it more? You know, you have to. I'm gonna see. I think we're gonna see. see. I think it's. I mean, it's probably gonna be more freedom. I, I don't. Know, I don't want to say freedom is not the right word, but I think. It's gonna probably probably be less stressful than my than my other gig. I was um I was an associate creative director at another like at a PR agency, and I was there for about three and a half years. And the, I mean, the that work and the work I did there, I think, allowed me to to show up at the times and be like, okay, I'm I'm a perfect candidate. This is why you should hire me. Um, but I was just I was exhausted. Like I was doing a lot of like leadership and leading, in in um, in that creative department. Um, but Without the title, without um, to be transparent, without the pay, um, yeah. right? So, this is this will be nice, and like I'm hoping that it will be because I'm really wasn't freedom. I just I mean I think part of it is because I'm a Capricorn, so I just get things done. You yeah. Know? So like between yeah. the nine to five, it's yep. like okay, parenthood, partnership, yep, all the other things that are happening. How do I make room for them? Just kind of just figure it out, you know. So I think I'm probably gonna have. I don't know freedom, but probably more room, I think, because I just won't be as, hopefully, I'm hoping not as stressed. I, I'm going on five years of, or six years, being yeah. self-employed. Yeah. And Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's super fucking tough, and I don't know yeah. how we've done it. And it's, it's, it's one of those grinds where you're just like, you, you, have, no, you have no expectation that it's going to happen the mm -hmm. next month or the next year, or whatever your building's going to take off. There's no expectation of that. And uh, and I've been thinking a lot about like it's been a weird year because we're in the middle of pitching a TV show Ooh, for Let's wow. Give a Damn and yeah, yeah. super excited the team that is assembled to you know put it together and pitch it and everything like we're getting into bigger and bigger conversations and awesome, some man. incredible people have you know signed on to be part of the show yeah, and yeah. that'll help That's it look cool. but it's I've been hesitating so I've been making money consulting that's how i make money yeah, gotcha. and then i let's give a damn just sucks all my money you know <laughs> we just the, the non-profit yeah. the, the, then the podcast then i'm writing a book and yeah, it just yeah. it's it's good and it'll pay off in the end but the the whole idea of i think for people like you i don't know if have you felt it all like oh, i can't get a real job because i'm a creative like i can't do that 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 like is there a sense where that is a not selling out, but yeah. like if I was really good at this, I'd be able to make it work because I think that's bullshit. But yeah. I felt that. Yeah, yeah, I, I felt that for a, I felt that for a while, man. Like for a while, there was this uh, feeling of, and which is why, if I'm being honest, I mean, some, I mean, I'll try to kind of truncate this, but like a majority of my nine to five experience was um, social services. Like I had worked, I was I was uh, HIV AIDS case manager for about two years, and then I worked with. Um, Essentially, like like folks who were coming home um, from specifically from Rikers who suffered from um, 
wow. mental health disorders. Wow. My job was to place them in programs. I did that for about seven years. Now, primarily, it's I wanted a. I only had a, I only have a high school diploma, so it was like, okay, how do I make this work and leverage this, but then also do something that. I know it's going to be fulfilling for me, like fulfill my spirit. That's also going to give me the freedom and room to perform. So that's me. And then like putting projects yep. together. So, not, so like one, I've been doing the balancing act now, I want to say like 13 years. Yeah. Like just kind of working nine to five. And then at one, and I, was, I, was, I was telling myself like I'm just working in this space in a nine to five until all the other things blow up and then I don't have to do it. And now I'm at a space where... I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily necessary. And like maybe those things will blow up and may I might still want to do that. Like yeah. I think of um yeah. I forget her name, um, her last name, but Hanya. Hanya, who's the um editor in chief of T magazine at, at at the New York Times. Like she mm-hmm. had a New York Times bestseller while she was an editor at T magazine because she was like books don't like writing doesn't sell. You know, so it's like having to supplement the income. Like you know, Toni Morrison, you know, God bless the dead. She was an adjunct professor. While she was still writing, I mean, granted, her first, like even when she was writing *The Bluest Eye*, she was still an editor, you know. Like, I, I, and then it got to, I'm, it got to the point where probably, of course, she teaching made the most sense. But you know, multiple streams of income that feel like they used to be frowned upon. Like, you have to pick a lane, and I think we're in an era now where everything, like, we're not having to pick lanes. We're just going with with the lanes that are best. Uh, that 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 best align with our values and our principles as creatives. At least for me. You know, so it's like now I'm at a point where, OK, I'm, I'm going to be a creative director at the Times. And I feel like this is the first time where I feel like the institution matches my level of of um, of power, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, it does. You know, it took me a while to recognize, like, oh, like I'm really dope at what I do. Like, yeah. I'm really good at what I do. And so having having the Times kind of support that for me makes it a lot easier, I think to sell in what I'm trying to sell in as far as a creative, like empathy, creativity. How do we get more BIPOC folks in positions of not, and I don't like power because power tends to kind of then skew white supremacists, but the idea that how can we leverage our voices in a way that's going to maximize our talents and then put that back into community. So like uh, a Harlem Grows has more financial backing for whatever they're going to do. Or like, you know, like how do we funnel all these things? It's not like not to be rich, but like how do we put ourselves in these rooms and then blow up these rooms and then bring other people in with us? You know, like for me, that's kind of what's become a little more attractive now than it was like 10 years ago. Are you okay with me putting this in? Absolutely. This this part, because you're talking about a new job, so I want to make sure that that's Yeah, and and by the time, because this is going to go a lot, because I start on Monday. So like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think this is so. I'm glad we're even starting here. I was going to ask you, recording. I was like, "This is yeah." I am recording because the people listening to this show, so many of them want to. They want to make a difference. That's why they're listening. They want to. They they already give a damn. They're trying to figure it out. They're in. They're in. They're somewhere on the spectrum, and all of us want our shit to blow up. And all of us want to be the next fill in the blank, right? Uh-huh. If you're in the entertainment space mm-hmm. or if you're an artist or you're in business or whatever it is, like you want, everybody wants their shit to like yeah. go off <laughs> and everybody love it and we get all the followers and we get all the people mm-hmm. buying our shit. Mm-hmm. But that is not practical. <laughs> and even for people that are really, really good at what they do, it doesn't yeah. always happen that way. It takes yeah. years or decades or it doesn't become a fully self-sustaining thing. Mm-hmm. So I love that we even started here, which is you're going to, you're already putting so much good out in there into Thank the you. world. Thank you, Nick. And now the Times is going to support you continuing to do that. Yeah. Physically, 
financially, like right, they're gonna they're gonna relieve some of that stress. Yeah, and you're good at what you do. Thank you. You're getting into that room, and now you know how do I do? Do I need to get more speaking gigs and more shows and more Mm -hmm. this? Like that Mm -hmm. stress is at least now you can even take more risks. Yeah, you can maybe take shows that don't pay as much, but you want to be there. That kind of a thing, right? You have more freedom. I wish, and I wish more people. And and thank you for saying that, Nick. And and thank you for 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 the affirmations. because you're absolutely right. Like, what I think sometimes we fail to realize is, you know, the way the structure of capitalism works is horrible. Um, I think, and end point, end of sentence. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> Period. It, it, seal the envelope. Yeah. Send it in. You know, because I, I think I, I recognize the privileged space I'm in right now, where it's like I get to make, to your point, I get to make decisions about the things I say yes to and no to right. without having to think about is this going to, do I need this to pay a bill, right? And I was there, like, shit. Like when I remember being on the train and feeding Lila, my oldest, like um, ramen and, and hot dogs because I just, I, I was in between jobs. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any savings. I was still living with, I was still in my mom's. And granted, we're talking, I'm 38 now. We're talking four years ago. Like, just so we're clear, like, this is not a... Yeah, not decades ago. Yeah, like, this is not like I grew, I, I got, I, I put myself in a position to be successful when I was 21. It's like, it's happening like now, like last year, which surprisingly enough happened during the pandemic. Last year was probably the most productive year I had. Same. Um, right? And and I think a lot of it is because, and, and similarly, because you do so much good, right? And you put so much of that into the world. The world, I think, was looking for that kind of energy. Um, and, it, and hopefully will continue to because we need it. Um, but I think because people were looking for ways out and also ways in, right? And mm. I think there were people who were able to speak to that because they had been doing the work of unpacking, sifting, what are all the challenges, all the trauma. Like I'd been, I'd been sitting with my trauma for years, like through therapy, through writing, like sitting with and processing. And so when the moment came last year, I was prepared. So it's like when with my homegirl Julia, shout, shout out to Julia Wendy, who, who Julie Wendy, who who works, well, used to work um, at Airbnb, like. She connected me with some folks, so like I was doing talking gigs here, and then like I remember doing something with the Gates Foundation here, and then like there were just a lot of different people who were showing up for me because I had been showing up for a community. It was tiring as fuck. Yeah, it's like you were saying, right? Like yeah. you would, like you did what? How many fifty shows? Yeah, sixty Bruh, in the past that, year. Bruh, yeah. that's, that's wild, and yeah. that's like it's exhausting, especially doing that with a screen in front of you. Yeah. But it allowed me. It's an. I, it, I'm in a position where it's like, if. Uh, you know, okay. So, prime example, um, uh, an agency reached out to me to, to for for in support of a COVID nineteen vaccination program. I said yes. There's like a small stipend. Like I'm like I don't let's don't let's I'll take the stipend. And I'm just going to donate that. Sure. Like, and I have. It's easy for me to do that, you know, because I don't. I'm not necessarily in the back of my mind worrying about what is this money going to do. Like, do I need to move into savings? Like, I'm okay. And it yeah. took a lot of work to get there, but. Having a nine to five, a secure nine to five that I feel comfortable in, that's not driving me up the wall, you know, I think. And granted, it was to a certain extent, but financially, it allowed me to go, okay, I can say yes to this. And now even more so, to your point, because of where I'm going and what I'm going to be doing. Um, and then trying to leverage, also leverage the capital that comes with working in that building. And I, th- I don't think we as creatives, especially BIPOC creatives, do that enough. It's like... How do you leverage the space that you're in and how do we, and granted, again, privilege, lighter skinned black man, still a man with, with, with fairer skin who can walk into rooms and make people comfortable. Yeah. But the idea that because I can do that, I can also then bring other, like, 
non-binary black men, black women, brown brown men, brown women, whomever, like to the table with me to have these conversations and to get the work. But in order to do that, I have to be in a position of, I have to be in a position where my voice matters. But then I also have to use my voice in a way that shows that it does matter and, and utilizing the capital, which is why growing my social media presence was so important. Because the numbers, unfortunately, matter. They matter. You know? That's right now, I told you before we hit record that, you know, we're trying to make this TV show right now. And it's so much fun. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But I have, you know, I have historically not spent a lot of time thinking about how to grow my social media presence. I'm yeah, on there. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's fun to engage with people. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a little little insane, a little crazy on there, like to have conversations and ask hard questions and yeah. sometimes that goes bad and whatever. <laughs> but my team, they're like, yeah. yo, you have, like, if you want to make it in this industry, you have to think about it. Yeah. Now you can think about it and say, fuck it, I don't care. I'll just deal with it. But yeah. you still got to think about yeah. it. You still got to be intentionally reckless yeah. or yeah. you got to, you know, dial yeah. it back and say, how can I invite more kinds of people yeah. into this conversation? So that it's not just like, you know, pr- you know, echo chamber preaching to the mm-hmm, choir or whatever, mm-hmm. like more people into the conversation. And yeah. so, yeah, it does it does matter. And probably especially, like you said, for for BIPOC people that haven't historically had a seat at whatever mm-hmm. the table is, yeah. all the tables. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about that strategically is probably super huge. It is. And, and I think, Nick, part of the work for me, it was trying to crack the code of Instagram for me. You know, like I had, I had grown, like my Twitter following had been growing pretty consistently. Like I, I tell people, you know, I started at zero too, right? Like yeah. I, I, I think I started on Twitter in like 2011. And it was like, it started with me promoting my music because a lot of people don't know, like I rap, like that's what I do. Like that's like a lot of where my art focus came from. Um, and so I was like, you know, I would, I would post links that no one would click on and like I would be posting poems very different than the affirmations that people see, which I think people tend to think are poems. I do not consider those poems. Those yeah. are those are my thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like posting like short, short stanzas, haikus or whatever. And like the audience started growing and I was interacting with people. Then I started writing essays, long form essays on Medium. Um, and those started gaining traction. Those started going viral, actually. Um, and what I realized, um, and fast forward to me growing my Instagram audience in, within like the past um I want to say two and a half years, really, like maybe a little bit before I gave my TED Talk in 2019, um, when I started seeing like my Instagram followers were increasing. And part of that was because I just started taking my tweets, adding colorful backgrounds to them. Similar to like I'd seen Rob Hill and shout out to the homie Rob. Rob had been doing that. And I was like, I don't want to do that because then it feels like I'm jacking and like, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 that's right. not that's not my that's not my steez. But what I realized is, like, OK, but my words matter. Like and I see how my words are affecting my Twitter audience. Yep. So like. Yep. How do I bring this in a way that feels authentic to me? Like, what is my truth in this space? And so it was like backgrounds of like, you know, different different fabrics that represented uh, different countries w- within the continent of Africa. Or it was like a hip hop background. Or it was like, who's the activist I want to put as a background today? Or like colorful shit. And I, then I would just post songs to go along with them. Like, you know, like I was trying to create a pure, uh, I was essentially curating a playlist. Yeah, and I was yeah. trying to create a mood. But it was the truth. It was like, this is what my truth is. And then like it started... Things just started happening relatively quickly. More people, like, people would share it here. And then somebody, like, a big-name person would catch on. And then a big-name brand, like, you know, would, like, post something. And then that just it just kept happening to the point where it's my audience is where it's at now. 
and it was because I was really intentional because I knew that is capital. So like even now with my agents working like working through my proposal for my essay collection, it's those it's those questions of like how many followers do you have here? Who can we reach out to that's going to help? Who's going to be able, who would want to talk about the book? Who would want to be in support of the book? And it's like similar to you, right? I know like you're probably going through the list of names for the show and being like, oh, this is wow. I need, I might have to call in a favor here, yep. here, here, here. When I'm looking at the list, I'm looking at a, a curated list of folks who have been following my words because of the authenticity and the honesty behind it. It's similar to, again, like you showing up with the podcast is about the truth, right? Like this is, the, this is your truth and how you're able to kind of pull and extract that and find the good in the situations and in the people. It's, it's, if, if you're intentional and like to your point, impatient, cause it doesn't, it might, it might happen in a week because you might just have one thing that the New Yorker picks up, yep. you know, or it might take like me you know, <laughs> six, seven years. And even then, it's still, I'm not nowhere near where I, I imagined myself or imagined myself to be, you uh, know? I love that. So much gold in there. Let's, uh, we're going to we're gonna wrestle with some of that stuff throughout this conversation. Mm -hmm. But I, I do want to start sort of going, going back, talking, you were born and raised in the Bronx. Yes, sir. Um, talk about your childhood, your upbringing. What are the kind of who, what, when, where's, and why's of your, your upbringing that kind of stick out that have, kind of guided you and brought you to the place you are today. Let's talk about some of that. And, and, and you live in Brooklyn now, right? Yeah, yeah, I live in Bed-Stuy Thanks for coming now. over to Brooklyn, of course. coming over to Manhattan of course, from man. Brooklyn. I've, I've noticed this. We've been here for five months, hopefully yeah. 50 more years. Yes. And I've noticed that people, it's hard. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, it's a, I don't know how long it took you to get here, but like it's a 30, 40 minute train ride, Not whatever. Bad. Not bad. And, no. and I, people just like, oh, I can't come or it's going to be next month or, you know, months yeah. from now. And I'm like, so it's, thank you. <laughs> thank you for making the no. trek into the wild yeah. world of Manhattan. Traveling on Camelback. You yeah. know, it was, it was hard, man. No, but you know, I, I mean, I think part of it is because, I mean, granted, I was going to say I'm a native New Yorker, but that doesn't matter. Like, I grew up, I grew up not leaving the Bronx. Like, yeah. if you were from the Bronx, you stayed in the Bronx, unless, you know, part, part of the language, unless you had, there was like a shorty or a young lady that you were trying to highlight. Yep. Or if you knew somebody that was going to make sure you were going to be safe, because Brooklyn was not safe. You know, yeah, at sure. all. And the Bronx, I mean, granted, the Bronx wasn't safe either. But it's a different kind, and it was unknown. It was unknown. Exactly. It's an unknown safety as opposed to, like, I know it's, it's, it's what I love. One of the things I love about New York, and before I go into that, like, what I, I've been saying a lot now um, is New York is prob probably the longest love relationship I've been in mm. um, by far. Um, because, I mean, I love the city to death. Like, Fran Lebowitz said something about them essentially burying, burying her here. And I'm like, yes, you know. Yeah, um, she said. She said, uh, uh, "Was it Scorsese or whoever was interviewing was her?" Scorsese. Yeah, he yeah. was like, where, "Where else would you go?" And she, or like, w "Would you move anywhere else?" And she's like, Who, "Nobody else would have me. Like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. it." Yeah, I was. And she when when they were having that conversation in '92, why I was there, it was like amazing. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah, man, it was so cool. Um, but nah, man, you know, born and bred New Yorker, Bronx, Bronxite to 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 the death. Um, my mother, uh, Linda T. Um, uh, Single mom, for, for, for lack of a better term, um, dedicated uh, uh, medical tech nurse practitioner person who, used, who worked at Jacoby Hospital for over 30 years. Mm. Um, you know, son to a uh, now deceased um, Vietnam veteran father um, who, you know, didn't have the tools, um, didn't have access to the tools or the language. Um, so, 
you know, his trauma showed up in a lot of the ways he parented or, or tried to or couldn't. Um, and so, you know, with, with my siblings who are all a little more older than me, I, I technically kind of grew up as like an only child, you know, like so which gave me, I think, the, the room and the freedom to show up like I do now. Like I, I didn't have I had friends, but my friends weren't coming to the house. And part of that is because I was really particular about how I played with like G.I. Joe's. You know, or specifically G.I. Joe. So, like, I spent, even, like, we had board. I remember we had a Ninja Turtles board game in the house. And I just played it by myself. My mom bought it for me for Christmas. I never invited kids, like, yo, let's play. Like, I just took the pieces and I played with them because it was easier for me to do that than having to explain to people how to play the game the way that I wanted to. Um, And I think even now when I say that out loud, it's easier for me to do the work and, and show people how to do the work than it is to, like, like, I'm going to lead you to the water. I'm also going to give you the fishing pole. I might even fish, and I'm probably going to fish for you, actually, too, and then I'm going to give it to you. But, like, I, the process of having to, like, bring people up to what I knew I was trying to do and accomplish, because, like, yeah. I knew I wanted to make art since I started making art at, like, five, six years old. Wow. And I was, like, drawing poorly in comic books or, like, writing poems for my man who would then give those poems to girls in, in elementary school. Like, that's... When, like, I was writing for the paper in fourth grade. Like, I was a drama student in middle school, and then I went to the performing arts high school, LaGuardia, here. And, like, there was – it's art. Art has always been the the impetus, the guiding force for how I survived and now how I thrive, you know, in in, in the world. And so the, – but the Bronx was because – it was all because of the Bronx. It was all because of hip-hop. It was all because of my brother, my, my brother D, um, and, and, and my mom, you know, who really kind of gave me the, the – gave me the room – you know, I think um, unintentionally, for being honest, you know, like my mom wasn't like a tiger mom or super hands on. It was primarily my mom being so busy <laughs> that I had yeah. time to just kind of figure things out yeah. on my own and play. Like I used her bedroom because she didn't really sleep in the bedroom a lot. Um, I used that room as like my art, like as like my studio, you know, film ideas, comic book ideas, album art cover covers and you know freestyle rapping by myself and imaginary friends like I created a whole universe um for myself and I think that's why now it's I I just want to make things you know like that's the goal for me to make things but that all started that all started in the Bronx you know I love it um so were there uh, if you don't want to get into this that's fine but you know you said single mom that's the easiest way to put it so um, talk through, again, as much or as little as you want to, yeah. like, not even specifically, like, where was dad? Yeah. But where was, wh- where was dad and who replaced dad yeah. in your life, yeah. right? Like, I think I've seen very successful, you know, and I don't mean successful in, in, in you know, wealth or whatever, yeah, but yeah, I've yeah. seen very successful children, you know, born out of you know, single moms, like mm-hmm. no dudes around yeah, yeah. in the family directly, but almost every single time there was that figure somewhere along the way at yeah. school, in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. at the basketball court, yeah. uh, at the after school program, like there was somebody yeah. that um, pitched in in that mm-hmm. way. That exists for you? Yeah, for sure. It was my brother D. Yes. Like, and, and I think, um, you know, D, D is eight years older than me. And so I think... Um, and again, I don't necessarily know if D was trying to grow himself. Like, you know, when I was five, D was 13. Sure. Like we, oh, that's hard age. We yeah. yeah. And like, you know, I think about the time, like D and I were taking showers together until I think I was like eight. 
years old or something like that. And so actually probably a little earlier than that. But the idea that my brother very much became like he 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 took care of me yeah. in that way. Um, my mom made him. You yeah, know, I was the annoying little brother that he didn't want to be around. So he found out I could rap, and then that kind of changed. You were a cool kid. Then. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like, I like could rap, rap. Like he was kind of blown away because I, I had been hiding it for so long. And this is by that time I was like fourteen, fourteen. But D, like I think again, like <laughs> D would make me do things, and the things that he made me do, I think created created a a decent amount of the version that shows up in this world now especially when it comes to hip-hop you know because d um d had a job so he could buy um bootleg mixtape cds from the from the bootleg man that that had his whole like table situation set up on fordham road in the bronx and so you know d was the one who put me on a video music box which is like the first broadcast like really the first syndicated broadcast hip-hop show with ralph mcdaniels which is still on now like before rap city before yo mtv jams all that um and he would make me tape video music box when he went to work um because he used to work at oak tree for those who don't know oak tree which then became structure which then became express men so he used to work at oak tree and so when he was working in the stock room he would tell me i put the put the vhs in tape this in and so he could watch any of the rap videos that he missed but that was my integrate like that's how i got integrated into hip-hop you know him buying mixtape cds him playing them in the house us dancing together in the living room like D was my superhero for mad long because he was just like he was just the cool he was like the coolest person that I knew, you know. Like so, I would steal his clothes in high school, you know, um, and in middle school actually, um, you know. Like he was that person yeah. for me. Like he was that that guiding force. I think in that way. Yeah, I I I'm old enough to remember structure, but not Oak Tree. Even yeah. though we're the same age, I mean, I yeah. just maybe I well I know why. I grew up in Guatemala, so all the time when mm-hmm. I probably would have shopped at an Oak Tree. Before structure, yeah, there you I go. was overseas. I wasn't even in the there, country. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. So 2019, and it's going to be some of your family stuff yeah, yeah. and parenting. 2019, you gave a TED talk. I did at yeah. TED Women. Yeah. Um, how was that? First of all, being because I, I, I've I, my friend Justin Baldoni. Okay. Also, he's a director in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, let's um, say I know that name. Yeah, yeah. Amazing yeah. human and amazing director. He gave a TED talk at I think I think year after. 2020. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Ted Women, yeah. you're you're a guy coming into this place. They're trusting you, yeah. To yes. to you know communicate in this forum yeah. that is about elevating uh, women and the things that women are going through and the things that they're leading in. Yeah. So you give this talk, which I rewatched last evening, just thinking about our conversation. Yeah. So good on co-parenting. Yeah. So talk about that talk. Yeah why that talk why they asked you to speak on that why yeah. are you someone that can speak on that and talk just talk about your current family structure right yeah, yeah because um you know we heard a little bit about your mom and d and mm-hmm. your whole situation and now you've got this you know your situation which yeah. it seems so intentional yeah and within the you know the interesting nature of humans being messy and things not working out there's a lot of intentionality there yeah and truly making this the best case scenario yeah. for everybody to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and thank you for that, Nick. I mean, that, that um, yeah, you know, sh- shout out to Helen, Helen Walters, who um, reached out to me on a fine evening. Um, Bria, my partner and I, we had just, we had just had a sonogram. Um, 
And I was going through Twitter and I was going through my mentions and I saw the tweet. It's like, hey, Joel, this is Helen Walters from TED. Um, I can't remember the exactly what she said, but essentially, would you like to give a TED talk? Let's. And, you know, the and this journey- was in the timeline, so you could have missed it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so. But this is all, like, I'm intentional. So, like, I check, like, I'm, I'm a, like, because I don't like missing things. And not missing things, some of that could be unhealthy, and I'm very much sure. aware of that. But yeah. I think it's more about not missing the opportunity to either thank somebody, to, like, to collaborate with a person. Like, I'm always trying to keep my eyes out for that. Or, like, if someone is looking for help, you know? Yeah. Um, because that happens for, 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 for me at times, too. Um, but, you know, I've been applying to be a TED Fellow for, like, I had maybe the past four years and like I kept getting rejected because they were giving other people the opportunity to talk about science and all the other things that actually are really important as, yeah. as opposed to I mean, not to say the arts aren't important but I think my the case I was making wasn't as strong yeah sure. I, can see, I can see that now yeah um but, live and learn live yeah learn. you know you know but um when Helen reached out she had mentioned that like she'd been following me for some time which I did not know um Cause like, and especially cause like I try to keep, I try to keep a good eye on like who's following me. And like, you know, if you're a person who's really on social media, you can tell when a person's also intentional cause generally their profile image is like, it looks like a headshot. It looks professional. It's like, yeah. Oh, this person is probably doing some kind of important work. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, but anyway, she, she had, she had told me she, she really appreciated how I talked about fatherhood. Um, and granted, I don't talk about fatherhood a lot on Twitter. You know, and I know she and she said and she was following me on Twitter, not on Instagram. So it's not like she saw like I'd post Lila every now and then. But um, and I'd written a couple and I'd and I'd written pretty extensively when before she was born about coming into parenthood for the first time. My fears, my me dealing with um, suicidal ideations, like a lot of the anxiety that was coming Mm. with being a first time father and also essentially dealing with a very difficult co-parenting situation at the time. and so when she came to me and proposed fatherhood, I was like, I actually have a better conversation that, that I think I want to have. Um, because black fatherhood, I think those conversations are continuing to happen. So I'm, I, and I'm, I'm here for those. I love those. Yeah. Um, but I realized when I was going through what I was going through as a co-parent, there was no literature or nothing that I could, I could look to to explain what my situation was and what I was going through and seeing if there was any hope. Because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had any hope. I felt, I felt like this is how it's always going to be. Incredibly difficult, stressful, um, and how am I going to sustain myself and then also make sure that my child feels safe, feels loved? Like I wasn't in a financial position to do any of those things, and I was trying and I was doing, but it felt like I was failing all the time. And so it felt like talking about co-parenting was going to be the opportunity to like give somebody else the the voice that maybe they might have needed because it's not like um, – Lila's mother and I were married and then we got divorced or we were married and we were separated or we were together for seven years and then we had a baby and then we broke up. It was like we dated, we liked each other, it didn't work out, she's pregnant. I know this is not the person I want to be with, wonderful human being, this is not going to work. That did not end well at all for either of us. None of us really had given us ourselves the time to grieve not being single people without children, which I think I, I, I'm a strong advocate for, for us creating space for anything that's going to be a big transition. So if you're getting married, 
<laughs> grieve you being an unmarried 100%. person, right? Because that it's a very different ball ball game, right? Speaking for as a person who's not married, but whatever. But like knowing that having true. A, you know <laughs> having a child is like you know like it's it it is you it's like I everything is post post Lila and pre Lila. It's how I define yeah, my that's world. So true. You know, it's yeah. like I remember. I, I remember getting the call and finding out I was gonna have a. Uh, we were gonna have a baby, and how I cried not on the call with it, but I called my brother and I just boohooed. I was like, I'm not ready. And granted, I was 33. It's not like I was 21, 20. Like I was grown age and still was like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? What am I doing? Um, but the talk was amazing. And Ted woman, like Ted was like, Ted is by far the most professional organization. Like they are down to the T like prepared. And so like having people on the ground who were incredibly supportive, helpful, the space was beautiful. Um, And so when people are like, Oh, did you get paid? I'm like, Ted is the thing that you say yes to because a is the experience B it's, it really is the, I'm not a, you know, you're networking, but like, this is the, this is the space. And it's also like, a, it's like a calling card. Like my, 100%. my TED talk has like what, 1.5 million views or something Just like that. Just on the website, not counting, you know, YouTube and all that right. stuff. Millions of views. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, this is, you know, and like, I, I, I still get emails on occasion, you know, like every like six or seven months, just random people being like, I saw your TED talk. Thank you. You know, um, from women and men and. It was, but it was an incredible experience. I would do it. I would do it again in a heartbeat because it was just great. I mean, granted, I was nervous as shit, but it was worth it. The the entire opportunity. It make and it also makes it feel everything that I went through for my daughter also was worth it. Not not because of the TED talk, but just because of that experience created something that lives forever. You know, like when I look at that talk, like Lila's face pops up in the background. It's like she's not going anywhere. You know Amazing. what I'm saying? Like even yeah. when she leaves, like when we leave, that's that's a thing. You know, unless YouTube shuts down. I uh, I gave a TEDx talk um, same year as you did, mm. but TEDx in mm-hmm. Chicago. It's a great experience. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say and, yeah, and yeah, you just don't you don't say no to that. You don't say no. no you do no. it and you enjoy it, and it's just such a great yeah. experience. And I think and I think what I want for us as creatives is like not everything not everything has to be paid. No, you know, and, and granted, yes, we need to know when to do it and when to. Take the L because it's going to be yeah. endless networking opportunities. Again, again, it's like you just added that that notch on your business card, yeah, right? Yeah, it's it's discernment, you know. Um, it's it's all about discernment, and it takes it takes work. It takes trusting your intuition, um, and then I think it also takes um, it takes having solid people in your corner who can affirm that who who have maybe experienced more than you to be able to tell you or at least give you some level of advice of whether or not this is the thing that you do say yes to that is maybe going to be unpaid because the benefits that come from it are going to be X, Y, Z or whatever. Or like if you're having a meeting with this person, you know, you may not get paid right now, but how is this going to pay off 100%. later, right? How is that relationship? Like there's friends, friendships I have now that started with me, like a prime example, my my my, my good friend Carly, Carly Hustle. Um, I used to send Carly music and Carly used to work at High 97 and she started working um, with Jamla Records, Ninth Wonders record label. And now she's at Beats with Ebro. Um, and I would just send her music and she never listened to it. Um, she never listened to it um, at the time. Shout out. <laughs> she never listened to it at the time. But... When I started writing essays, I think somebody had shared it, and I saw her like retweet 
a link that I had shared with the essays and I was like, oh, this is my opportunity. And I was able, and I was telling, like the reason I knew who she was was because I had been emailing her so <laughs> so often. Yeah. But it was like creating, like knowing that, and not intentionally saying, okay, this is going to pay dividends, but like being intentional about who I, I was exchanging energy with and feeling confident that it was, that energy was going to be worth the effort. And nine out of 10 times it has always paid off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Before we move on from the the TED talk, I want to talk about the the content of your talk as it relates to so co-parenting. What I loved about listening to it again was it wasn't just about two parents raising kids not under the same roof. It was also about just parenting in general. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's everything you said in your talk applied to my partner and I mm. who live under the same roof, have yeah. for 13 years, hopefully for the next 50. Yeah. Like, yes. But but it's this whole idea of, you know, in 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 decades and centuries past and in millennia past, mm-hmm. like usually in a partnership like that, one one side of the partnership mm-hmm. ends up, you know, taking care of the home, doing mm-hmm. certain things, right? Yeah. And we yeah, relegate yeah, yeah. certain tasks to a certain, you know, one of the partners and it usually historically has been the woman. Yeah. And the man goes out there and hunts and kills and, you know, <laughs> conquers and, you yeah. know, brings home. And then the, the the woman is taking care of stuff. And I have never – that's the home I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I love my parents uh, to the moon and back, but that was very much it. You yeah. know, my dad yeah, rarely yeah. lifted a finger to do anything yeah, other than yeah, yeah. provide for the family. And then yeah. mom did all the shit. Yeah. And it's never been that way in our home. The Our home runs smoothly yeah. and in a united way because <clears> – <throat> I pitch in, she pitches in. Yeah. We all do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. I cook most days. Uh, I do all the grocery shopping. Yeah. She does, you know, a lot of the cleaning at home and she takes care of the kids because I do travel a lot. But then when I come home, I'm like, yo, go out, take your time. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. the kids. Yeah. It's not babysitting for a man to take care of his kids, <laughs> what? right? Get out of like here. <laughs> I I see these dudes sometimes on Twitter or whatever being like, Oh, I I was home with the kids today. It's so difficult. And I'm like, Well, fuck you, dude. Like yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You're getting one day or three days. And I mm-hmm. understand it's hard, but if it's that hard, you probably aren't pitching in in the ways you should. Absolutely. Because it shouldn't be that hard for you to spend yeah. three days with your own kids. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking to myself sometimes because that <laughs> some, some, does happen sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. when wifey leaves and I'm like with yeah. the kids and I'm like, I'm about to lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> and it's like, why? Why yeah. are you losing your goddamn mind? Yeah. These are your kids. Yeah. And it is such an important task. To yeah. raise kids well, even in a co-parenting situation. So, just for a minute or two, talk about yeah. the content as it relates to your family, but also anything that comes to mind for any family, really, yeah. that is trying to raise kids that give a damn and that you know are going to do something good in yeah. life, could be good people. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I think you you touched on it before, before um, in prefacing um, this conversation about co-parenting, like the the, the intentionality behind it. You know, um, the I think even just wanting to be a good parent enables the opportunity for that energy to show up in how you parent your children. You know, um, I very much am a, I mean, both myself and I think, um, Bri and my partner are gardeners in that way, you know, um, and you know, in that school, in that, 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 that school of theory where it's like carpenters and gardeners, right? Carpenters mm. essentially are creating, um, creating the pathway that they want their children to follow and gardeners essentially are creating the space for their children to figure that out. Yeah. You know? Um, so like we're not dictating, but like here are the room, here's the room, here are the boundaries and make sure that you're safe, but then also 
flourish, do whatever you whatever's going to work for you, as opposed to what we're trying to dictate is going to work for you based on preconceived ideas and or notions of what our children are supposed to be. Um, but I think the intention behind that is is why it's the dynamic has worked so well. It took a while for um, my, um, Lila's mother and I to be on the same page, and we're not always on the same page sure. as far as like the. I'm not even gonna say right or wrong because I don't necessarily believe in that, but like in what like in decisions, but like we're on the same page as far as like how our hearts are aligned when it comes to our child. You know, like our relationship is the best it's ever been, and I love it. Like we're friends again because we were at one point and so it stopped good. because it was so difficult. Yeah, we just did not like each other. We hated each other. Um, and I think there's a. It's easy to feel like that is all it's going to be, and like there that's was, what we're told. Two, yeah, two people split up. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just survival. So yeah, wait wait till the kids are out of the home and we're stop sharing them, and then we never fucking talk yeah, to each other again. Yeah, and that's that's wild, and it's and yeah. it's it's tiring. Yeah, and like it got to the point, and I'm, if I'm being honest, like we hit rock bottom. Like we we said some things to each other that we regret. I personally regret mm. more than anything, and I think, but it took unfortunately it took that for us to go back to the drawing board like clean slate almost and that even that period of time that that limbo that we were in where we weren't even talking to we were talking but it was literally just hi bye i pick up lila you pick up lila we leave whatever that that's pretty much it like no conversation um but it it was a process and so even now looking at the family dynamic we have like i'm going to houston I'm going to be staying with um, Lila's grandparents on her mother's side. Mm. You know, like she's going to be, she's going to hope, you know, she might be back here um, in New York visiting. But like, you know, the home is open for her to stay with us if if she wants to like her and Bria hang out. You know, I want to hang out. But like, you know, it's, hey, girl, what's going on? Like it's, it's, it's warm. And I think it it took, it's, it's carefully curated and it's like trying to be as considerate as possible to everyone's feelings, but primarily West, like our smallest, and Lila, you know, because those are the most important people, and I think it's easy sometimes to forget that. But part of that is also, to your point, and I think the pandemic is, if anything, it's either, it's brought things either to the lesser or greater side of things, where it's like, because we're all in this together, literally, we're in the home now, everyone's working from home, for the well, not everyone, for the most part. So, like... It's either putting a strain on your relationship because it's exposing how much we are not doing, honestly, as those who identify as men in the household. Um, Or it's like, I'm I'm sure in a situation such as yours, it's where it's like, or mine, it's like, how else can I show up in a way that makes it feel balanced? Because to Mm. be fair, it's never really going to be fully balanced. Like, you know, Bria's still breastfeeding. So, like, there's just, there are things that I cannot physically do because of our child's attachment. Sure. Right. However, it's like, what can I do in the spaces and how can I fill in those gaps? And I think the more we can do that collectively, the less the less issues we're going to have. And I think it's going to ease the conversations when we start talking about pay equity and all these other things that are essentially are disenfranchising a whole population um, and, and continuing to keep keep conversations about women's rights and, and their their rights to their bodies um, um, uh, at this at this kind of at this pace of men trying to determine what is appropriate and what isn't um, but I think a lot of that starts in the household and you it know really does. And, and the more we can start creating more room for balance equanimity um, across the board the easier and I think honestly the more productive and more healthy we are financially spiritually physically all all the above you know I love it. I mean, I hope that I can only imagine that Wes and Lila, as they see that continued 
struggle, but that unity between you all. Yeah. I imagine that that will help them and affect them in a positive way. I'm I'm trying not to like accelerate the process because I'm trying I'm really I'm trying to really focus on being present. Yeah. But and people might laugh at me for this, but I'm looking forward to my to my daughters being older. Like I'm looking forward to them Same. being 10, yeah. 13, where yeah. it's like really having complex, nuanced conversations about what they're going through, what they need help with, what they love, what they don't love. And like even if they hate me, like I wanna know, like I wanna be able to have those conversations with them. I'm actually excited about those because I think that's to me, that's the true test of parenting. Like how well do we handle those transitions? And like, I think that that's the test of, of our humanity. Like how well do we handle those transitions and not judging us for being good or bad and how we handle those. But I think it does test our character, you know, especially when it comes to our children who give, because I mean, I've been like, who gives zero, zero F-U-C-Ks about <laughs> how you feel, yep. which I think is beautiful, yep. you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So it's like that it's, I'm looking forward to that to kind of see, I've been treating parenting to a certain extent like a science experiment where it's like how much love, how much whatever can be put into this situation mm. and see how this pans out Yeah, and, and go from there. Yeah, you, you and know? me both. It's yeah. an exciting time. Yeah, man. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Joelle, was I've been observing your, you know, this is the first time we're meeting in person, yeah, so yeah. all I had was things I could find on the internet, your social <laughs> media and stuff. And I am consistently encouraged and helped (laughs) by what you have to say. It's beautiful, man. That's awesome. Part of giving a damn, in fact, step number one is you can't help each other or the greater world fix anything. You can't fix Mm. anything until you are healthy and whole as a human. Absolutely. You try to do it without that. You try to do that as a wounded, hurt person we always have w- wounds and we always have yeah, hurt. Yeah, but yeah, if we're yeah. not actively working on mm-hmm. ourselves, wrap it up in self-care. I don't, whatever you want to call it. But if we're not healthy, we can't move on to steps two and three, which are each other and others, mm-hmm. the bigger the bigger stuff. Yeah. And so you have a way, for, for lack of a better term, you have a way with words, both <laughs> Thank you, man. spoken yeah. and written. Yeah. And as I was thinking about our conversation, I was thinking about uh, this Bible verse that is very well mm-hmm. known, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: words kill, words give life, they're either, po- either, they're either poison or fruit, you mm-hmm. choose. That's mm-hmm. the message translation, which I like, it's just very practical, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But they kill or they give life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of killing words being put into the internet and out into the world. So much so. I'm not going to pin it on uh, a Donald Trump or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But in the past five years, lots of people have risen like that, that have given people permission to be dicks. (laughs) Like just keyboard warriors. Mm -hmm. How can I be the most hurtful, the most (laughs) harmful on Mm -hmm. the internet? And then there are certain people... I think like yourself that are saying, we have a choice here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I don't know, maybe not. I'm sure you feel sometimes like just blurting out the poison, as it says, not the fruit, yeah. the poison. Because yeah. it's easy to. There's so much shit going on, man. There's so much like hard stuff. And we live yeah. in the wealthiest city in the world. Mm-hmm. But also, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening Absolutely. here. 
police brutality. You've got, you know, people that are experiencing homelessness. It's running rampant. Kids that are experiencing homelessness. You have so much going on. And um, so let's talk about your words. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your sure, words. Sure. The uh, our our Lord and Savior Lin Manuel Miranda um, <laughs> said that your your words, Joel's words, are where I go when I need inspiration, and he never lets me down. I feel that way. I'm not Lin, cool. but I feel that way. <laughs> so, where talk about the importance of words, yeah. written and spoken. Yeah, talk about why. You are trying to be, it seems you're trying to be very careful about what you put out into the world. Maybe it is a deep understanding, whether it's from Proverbs or not, but of that idea of words kill or they give mm-hmm. life. One of the two, yeah. it's your choice. The Bible also talks about the tongue as like a fire. Mm. It can it can burn. It can destroy mm-hmm. things, Absolutely. right? Or it gives life. Mm-hmm. It can change a person's life. Absolutely. Talk about words. I mean... First of all, again, thank you, Nick, for, for, for all of that. I think, um, where do I start? I um, Yeah, that was a lot. I just like, no, no, went for like five no, minutes. No, 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 that was wonderful. I think, um, you know, my love language is words of affirmation. And so, you know, when, you, when you're talking about coming from like a wounded place or a place where you haven't, you're not working through your trauma, as a person who's been through trauma, who saw how words affected me and Mm. either gave me life or, you know, um, made me bleed, you know, like they're there. I I think at a certain point in time, especially with my affinity for words, I just love words. I've always loved words. I wish I could tell you why. I mean, I think part of it is like my mom had been, my mom had been putting books in my hands since I was like four. And so like I had a very voracious appetite, Yeah, you know, comic books, books, newspapers, it didn't matter. Like I just wanted to read the dictionary, encyclopedias, like whatever had words. That's our kids too. I love it. It's my favorite thing. It's the, and it's, and it's, it's such a breeding ground for, um, for autonomy, for agency, because now I have, I don't have a college degree, you know, I have two years of college and a high school diploma and I have, um, like rap albums and I have like Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni, like these people are my teachers, Jay-Z, like these are my teachers when it comes to the written word and utilizing language in a way. And I could see how powerful it was. Like when I, you know, I love documentaries. So anytime there's a hip hop documentary, I'm, I'm, instantly engaged like in really a music documentary like we're watching uh 1971 on apple tv now it's essentially it's about the year it's the year of music that changed everything and hmm. you know it's you know carol king's um tapestry comes out you know sliding the family stones there's a riot going on the rolling stones moved to the u.s there's so much like you know huge year bowie finally kind of becomes bowie right and it's like there's so many things happening um and I, I, I'm, but anyway, so I'm thinking about, um, uh, this is, I forget which documentary I, I, I was watching, but it's watching run DMC on stage and how they command the stage and run specifically run and also DMC and the power of not just their performance, but of their words, you know, like my Adidas changed how people wore sneakers, Yeah. you know, granted they were just emulating what, what was already happening in Queens. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like tongue out, laces out. It was like they, but they put that out to the world. And so now the world is seeing this, you know? Um, I don't know. There's something about the, the, yeah, the power yeah. of words for me. It's I've, I, t- I say this often, like you can tell me you love me and that'll be enough. 
you know, like, cause like words of affirmation, like that's what it, it means that much to me. And so knowing that, um, I want to, it's, I feel like it's my duty to remind people the importance of words and like how words have so much power to them and how we sometimes are very careless with, with our words. Like I'll give you an example. So I posted, <laughs> I posted something yesterday, um, and uh, the, the the tweet was uh, Mercury is in ginger ale. Thought it was funny. It was cute. I saw it. Yeah, I posted it on Instagram. There was a background of a tarot card. The tarot card um, is actually a picture of the RZA, right? The mm-hmm. RZA for those who are listening. The RZA from the Wu Tang Clan. And um, I tagged the I tagged the uh, company because um, I I, had, I was trying to find the right image. I finally found it on Pinterest. Saved it. Figured out how to post it because like whatever. And then I tagged the person. And I got a comment in the post while after like, can you please, can you please enter me in the caption since you didn't, since you didn't, since you edited my picture without my permission. And my immediate thought, Nick, well, not my immediate, but once I went to the page and saw that it was a white man who had taken an image of the RZA and made a tarot card out of it and was selling it, my immediate thought was like, bro, you are a white man who is stealing black like black yeah. black art and yeah. and selling it colonized like, for profit is what you kind like of what did. You, and yeah. like and now, was, you, and now you want credit for like it. bro please relax that was my thought i didn't do that what i did instead was i still tagged him he's still in the caption i just deleted the comment and kept it moving it's the intent and like because i don't want to feed into I can recognize my anger and not feed into it. And I think that's the thing. You know, it's like I can be with it. I can see it. Because, like, Nick, I was, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, bro. And I was like, man, I want to eviscerate. Yeah, I have a sermon for you, sir. Yeah. And, like, I knew knew what what would also happen is that if I left the comment up, somebody probably was going to respond to it. And I was like, I don't want someone to have to do that labor, especially a black woman. And then if I comment on that, other people are going to comment on this person and, like, get on them about it. And maybe they should. I don't know. Again, (laughs) whatever but at the end of the day it's like i have uh, the authority like i don't have some kind of chemical imbalance that's keeping me from being cognizant of that like so i don't have bipolar disorder i'm not i don't have depressive disorder um or any of those anything that's like gonna keep me from being able to properly reconcile and use discernment of like do i need to show up in this way and what is this solving is this my ego or is this actually doing something you know and a lot of what we do, and myself included, like I'm very aware of it. it be, it's a circle jerk. It can become easily become yeah. an intellectual circle jerk or yeah. an emotional circle yeah. jerk because the people who need it, especially in like leftist circles and activist circles, the people who need it are not online. They're not the ones who are reading articles about um, toxic masculinity and patriarchy. They're on my block. Like they yeah. they don't care about that shit. They're not they're not reading the latest essay in the New York Times. They're not discrediting them. Like they might be. I doubt that immensely because I live. I've been living in the hood long enough to know. Like cats are not. That's not cats are trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. They're trying to survive. Like they're not interested in having conversations about abortion rights in Texas. You know what I'm saying? And like I wish they would, and they should. Um, but having to be very clear about who am I communicating this to yeah. wh- and why, like, what's the purpose? And and me knowing that is for me. Like, when I tweet things, it's because it's a thing that I've been thinking about. Like, I tweeted about community recently, and I posted it on Instagram because I know how much I need community, and I want community, which is why we're doing this in person. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something very intentional about 
the utilizing words to bring people together as opposed to separate. And like the divisiveness has already existed. So I'm not with the, you know, we have to be more positive because the country's been divided. You know, like it's been that way. I think Trump, I think this whole conversation about vaccinations, I think the country is just it's just showing how great of the chasm, how great the chasm actually is. Correct. This is fine. I think for me, it's not about not being divisive. It's just about speaking truth and putting and, and utilizing words to do that and use, utilizing love in order to do that and recognizing that, you know, since we have the time, when I think about the Black Panther Party, the conversations that we generally have about the Black Panther Party, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about these beautiful black men and women um, and non-binary folks as well who are showing up in these, like, these beautiful black leather suits and jackets and pants and they got guns and they're storming and they're storming the buildings and they're shooting at the pigs. And it's like the most prominent thing that the Black Panther Party did was create the free breakfast program. Um, and and feeding kids, feeding poor black and brown kids in these communities. That was an act of love. It was an act of love and it was revolutionary. And I think it's easy to think that love is passive when it is not at all. Like Malcolm was, Malcolm's love for people is what led him to Mecca. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not, it's not a either or, you know. And like when I have these conversations with folks, I have to make people recognize like the anger, the anger is a catalyst, but... It, <laughs> We tend to think and look at the anger as like, that's what's going to move people. And it's like, Huey Newton is dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, Malcolm is dead. Martin is dead. Like, this is like, you know, Stokely Carmichael changed his name and left the country, you know, and rightfully so. But it's the anger, like, it got us to a point. And not saying that the love is going to get us across the threshold. I think it's both. But we can't keep talking about one side of this equation and thinking the one, there's only one way for us to be liberated. And for me, words are part of that process, you know? That's so, I mean, so much there. We could spend hours unpacking that. We'll do that another time. Yeah, but but, yeah. I, but I do think it's important to point out a couple things. One is, you know, you said I'm not looking to, like the, the sentiment I got was, you're not looking to be like, to put out these lovey-dovey sentiments. <laughs> nah, man. Yeah. You want to speak truth. Yeah. But you're choosing very carefully how to speak that truth. Absolutely. You're not looking to not be divisive, but you're not intentionally being divisive. Absolutely. Right? That's the difference between, I think, what I get caught in so, so much. Like, I'm, I want to be very clear in my, tweet, my next tweet <laughs> where I stand on this. Yeah. So yeah. instead of saying, we need, you know, police reform, I'm like, fuck the police. <laughs> Did you just see this thing that happened? And that is necessary. Did you just... 100%. And it can't always be fuck the police. I, I sat down with I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 working out this idea right now because it might even be a very integral part of how we pitch the TV show, oh, nice. or just how I begin to talk. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking the other day about this tweet that I was gonna tweet out, and I and I, I will, but I'm trying mm. to figure out how to do it well. Mm. So the tweet is basically like I don't trust politicians, pastors, or the police. Three P's. I <laughs> was like, I'm just thinking the three P's. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, I mean, people that follow me know that I am not, I don't shy away from my distrust of mm. those three kinds of people, um, which are mostly, historically, in all three of those categories have been white men that have yeah. led all of those movements. Yeah, for sure. So here's the interesting thing about it, though, is that I participate in all three of those things, mm. right? So I have clearly said a thousand and one times that I think the only way we fix what's happening in our 
criminal legal system, we we have to forever and always remove the word justice from there because there's no justice in it, mm-hmm. but it's a legal system for yeah. better or for worse. Yeah. The only way we fix it is if we just ar- burn it to the ground and mm-hmm. start over, Yeah. right? They keep saying few bad apples, we have to, you know, we have to reform it and we can do this and that. I'm like, you've had hundreds of years to reform this. And in the case yeah. of the church and politicians, thousands of years, and we're still here. It's not going to change no. because you've given away too much power <laughs> to yeah. pastors, priests, mm-hmm. politicians, and the police. Absolutely. They're not going to change. So how do I, I, I think living in that tension is where you are. You do that so well. I need to get better at it. It's like, again, there's still a time to say, fuck the police. Yeah. But also, if someone's breaking in my apartment tonight, I'm gonna call nine one one. I might be, yeah, I might have, I might yeah. hesitate about that. Yeah. Because yeah. just yesterday, I had a run in with a cop because he was parked. His personal vehicle was parked in the in the in the uh, crosswalk, no hazards on, sticking out into the street. So he's blocking a lane and in the middle of the crosswalk, literally just parked there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was taking pictures of it. Yeah, because I was going to post on social media. Yeah, tag the commissioner, tag him. <laughs> and he walks up and he's hope you got hope you got a good picture. And I was like, I did, I did. I got three <laughs> pictures, three angles. You know that you would give me a ticket if I was parked there and yeah. we argued for a second. But but I'll still call them, right? Yeah. And I yeah. still go to mass. Yeah. Right. Mm. I need that. I need that the the mystery yeah. and the liturgy and the the, the solemn nature yeah. of it. Yeah. So I haven't left. Yeah. Uh, politicians, I still vote every chance I get. Yeah. Even yeah. though I know that my vote may not do a damn thing in the yeah, world, right? Yeah, yeah. Still vote. Yeah. And I don't trust politicians at all. Yeah. So I think living in that tension yeah. where we can call it out, but also be just as vocal about, hey, I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I mm-hmm. want to. Yeah, yeah. But can I be a good citizen if I yeah. don't participate in these systems still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I be a believer in something big that's happening in the world? Right. I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what... It looks like exactly, yeah. but I do believe something big is happening. I do believe there is something, someone in charge yeah. helping us along <laughs> yeah. somehow. Yeah. So do you, is that, is that kind of how you see I, it as well? I think, I think that, I think you, I think you said it perfectly. And I think we don't do a good enough job of holding space for um, duality, mm-hmm. plurality even, right? Like more than one thing can be true at the same Nuance. time. Both and not we, and or we suck as a as a as a as a population when it yep. comes to like you see and you see it all in social media. I think is a prime example of that. It's yeah. like people jumping into conversations midway. Clickbait still works incredibly well for folks. As folks will read a headline and then not like. And granted, I'm not defending or I'm not saying pro or con Dave Chappelle. But when I start seeing the conversations about the show, I'm like, no one has actually watched what he was saying. Yeah. Right? Because it's like we get we get ground and then we start, I think again, even, you know, whatever anyone's beliefs are about vaccinations or being anti-vax. Like the idea that we get so ground we we get very grounded in in, in our belief systems. And so me giving you proof of a thing, whether it's like, hey, by the way, this is why you shouldn't trust vaccinations or, hey, this is why you should trust vaccinations. If whatever side you're on, it's going to be really hard for a person to change their mind. People generally don't change their minds. And yeah. I think what I would want us to do more of is recognizing how that extends across everything. Like if we treated everyone like we treated in the, the most appropriate manner, how we would treat a partner in a relationship, I think we'd have a better understanding of why we're not moving the needle, essentially, because we don't, 
if I'm if I'm yelling at my partner all the time about something, chances are they're not they're not gonna give a no. shit. Like they don't. What? Why do I think me yelling or being angry at them? And granted, the, to your point, like Nick, there's a time and a place for the anger, and yeah. it's justified and we need it. Um, but it's it is about discernment and like also being able to discern whether or not I need to be engaging with this person or with this community in this way. The nuance of that, like, is this person is this person willing to learn? Is this person opening to learning? The tension in that is being able to say, I can I can still benefit from capitalism while also recognizing how terrible capitalism is, yeah. while also not being fatalistic about the idea that I don't necessarily know if we'll ever topple it because you said it. The power, like. Race, I think, is a construct of the power that comes with money and capitalism. I think sometimes we think race and like gender and like those things are absolutely a part of the conversations, but people don't want to give up power. Like no, it's, it's always they never about, will once you've given it to them. And it's not. It, this is not human. This is like this is us as mammals, as a species. Like lions, like lions, and 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 folks who travel in packs. Like there's a pack that's different. There's like they're they're ostracized, like they're looked upon as different and they're treated as such. You know, like we we've always been doing this. And I think part of the work is being able to show up in the space and trying to reconcile the indifference. And not so it doesn't mean you have to be okay with it, but it does mean, hey, I can go to mass, but then also criticize the church and want the church to be better. You know, like I can vote, but knowing that the system is shitty, but I could not vote and then. Again, not and not knocking folks who are not doing that, but the idea that, again, last time I'm going to bring up vaccinations and anti-vaccinations, but when it's, I, a, it's the topic right now. When yeah. I think about, when I think about what we're anti, right, and it's like, are we also looking at how we benefit from the thing? Like we're we're very choosy about what we decide to trust and not to trust. You know what I'm saying? Like. I can trust I can trust my Apple Watch is going to tell me the time that it's not tracking my every step, right? That it's following me, but I might not, but then also I pay taxes, you know, because I know my taxes afford me like the library and the parks and yep. all these other things. Like the things that the government actually does take care of that we either take for granted or ignore because we're like, eh, I trust the government for this, but I don't trust the government for that. And then also two things can be true. The government can be shitty, but then the government can also do things thousand percent that are helpful. Yep. Like nobody's 100% clean. Nobody. I know I'm certainly not. Not even close. I've said shit. I've done shit that I'm not proud of. Like I've I've been a misogynist in in the ways that I've shown up in relationships yeah. to women. Yep. And so, it's like no one's hands are clean, but we act as if every like this holier than thou space that we share. And part of that is because we're not holding space for for more than one thing to be true. Yeah. You know. So like last thing, like so when I think about cancel culture, I also think about redemption, like redemptive culture. You know, like we need so much of that. Like when we think about abolition, Nick, we talk about the idea of like we're not going to have police. But then what do we? And because I'm absolutely for abolition, but we talk about it in the construct of violence, but we don't talk about it in the construct of like humanity. Because when we cancel a person, let's just say canceling a person is putting a person in jail. When you, if you're not going to put a person in jail, like we're getting rid of them, this person still exists. They're still part of the world. Like, and who gets to decide if this person gets to be integrated? back into the community, right? Yeah. If a person yeah. is going, when a person goes to jail, like we've been fighting for so long for for rights of the individuals, of, of, ex, of ex-incarcerated individuals who come home. 
what is the, so like what's the difference? You know, like if a person commits a crime, if we want to abolish a death penalty, but we're not actually because we're and whether people believe cancel culture is real or not, the idea it's not even about if a person's career is canceled. I think it's the ideology behind how do we create a society in which we can actually deem people to be redeemable. Yeah, you know, and we're yeah. not having the other side of the conversation. The, uh, leftists, progressives should be the most pro redemptive people out there. Absolutely. And yet we're not. Because triggers, man. Because we're like, all, yeah. we're, we're, and, and there's so many of, uh, I, I put myself in that category. I, I don't like all the titles, but I'm progressive in, yeah, yeah. in how I think and live. We're so bad at it. We're so bad at, <laughs> at broke, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're yeah. calling for, we're, we're, we're calling for love and unity and this. And then what, you know, one person, fucks up in there. I mean, it's happening right now with, and I don't even, I'm not even weighing in on the situation, but yeah, yeah. Stephanie Grisham, former, you know, press secretary yeah, yeah, yeah. for Trump, yeah, right? The yeah. third or whatever. She was <laughs> yeah, the one that annoyed me the least, but she was still <laughs> terrible at the time. She's yeah. coming out with this book yeah. and she's on TV saying, I was wrong. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. I was mm-hmm. wrong. And a lot of people, leftists are like, yo, I don't believe you. Like very conveniently, you're trying to sell a book and this yeah. and that. And, and it could have some to do with that. Absolutely. But also, I know the feeling because I've been a part of uh, abusive work relationships mm-hmm. where it's not as easy as saying, oh, this is wrong what's happening, yeah. so I need to get out. It yeah. is not that simple, no. especially for a woman. White mm-hmm. woman, black woman, it doesn't matter. Yeah, She's a woman in this very toxic environment. Yeah, yeah. Could she have just said, fuck it, I'm leaving, this is wrong? And again, she admits to participating. But my point is, people on the left, if we're all about love and unity, we should be saying, okay, I'm skeptical of this very conveniently timed, you know, book tour slash Mm -hmm. apology tour. But also, yeah, I want Stephanie Grisham on our side. I want all these different kinds of people that are seeing the error of their ways. Yeah. Saying, and I'm not just, I'm not saying left and right political, no, just that. No, yeah. But that's happening a ton right now where people yeah. are, are coming to their senses finally. And we're saying, fuck you. You were once part of that. Yeah. There is no redemption for you. Mm-hmm. And I want us to hold a lot of space for actually come on in because I'm as fucked up as you are. Yeah. You just don't know about my shit yeah. or my shit's different than yeah, your shit. My, my shit is more. Your, my shit is more different than your shit. Like Joe, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. I was going to bring Joe Walsh up. When he followed me, I was like, in my head, there were a lot of things going on in my head, but I was like, why not? Like, why not? Like, I, I've, he has been proactive, and I know Joe and I don't agree on a lot of shit. Like, yeah. I know it for certain. Yeah. But when I see a person, I'm, and I'll give you an example, and this is not Joe, but I remember I was at a medium, medium.com holiday party, and I wish I could remember this gentleman's name. Great guy. Um, but he looked like, you know, if we're going to point out, like, uh, he looked like a Yale graduate, like he dressed like an yeah. Ivy League guy. Pleated khaki pants. Absolutely. But we were just having a conversation about our kids at the time. And this is like a few years back. And I didn't know, and again, not to make it about left and right, but I, I remember going to his Twitter and being like, oh, like he's very, like Republican was in his bio. And this is before Trump, um, which I think... And again, people can argue what they want to argue, but I think conservative and Republican meant very different things until the Tea Party and Trump came along. Yeah. Like, I felt like there was a level of disagreement, but I it felt, re- I mean, like, I mean, I, really we're looking at probably like Newt Gingrich where I feel like things really started taking a turn for, right, okay, sure. this is not. Yeah. But anyway, but like, 
I remember going, seeing that and being like, oh, I would have never even, that wouldn't even cross my mind. And not on some like ebony and ivory, all is well with the world, but like, oh, we have a lot, we actually had a lot in common that had nothing to do with our political stances on things. And I think for some folks, it's like, I can't be friends with a person if they feel this way. I think there's certain things and we get to create boundaries and guardrails for that. But when I think of a Joe Walsh, I think of, oh, like he's showing up in ways that shows that he recognizes there was an issue and he's calling, he's trying to call attention to it in the ways that he is capable of. And I I think of it sometimes in, in I mean, Mike Tyson talked about it and I forget the exact quote, but it's like, you know, and, and like something about, you know, getting punched in the face, right? Like you don't really know what you're going to do until you get punched, until you get hit. And I think a lot of folks are yeah. talking about things that they haven't been hit with yet. You know, when I think about conversations about like whether what people would do if they were back in slavery times or what people would do, da da da. Even as simple as if Michael Jordan was playing in the NBA. Now there's so many different layers to like how you can answer that question that you cannot you cannot actually ascribe to the situation because it's not actually real. Like you're not in it. Like, I don't know what Michael Jordan would do if he had to play against Kobe and they were the same age. I don't know. It's impossible. Yeah. We can make up, we can theorize that. I can theorize what I would do if I was in a plantation, but I don't know. It's, it is scary. Yep. Like, and you don't like when you're dealing with people's livelihoods. Like, I don't know why Stephanie Grisham is making that decision because I'm not in her heart. I'm no. not in her brain. I'm not her therapist. Like, but I what I can... I can assume, though, I can assume one or two things. And the other assumption of maybe she's actually come around is way healthier for my heart and spirit than the other one. Because the other one just keeps, it keeps me going into the comment section and looking for people who are in agreement with how angry we should be about it. And granted, we can, but then also, and I can also say, well, let's see. Why not? Someday, it's very likely that something comes out we do something, we fuck up some some way publicly, mm -hmm. and we're going to want people to have two scenarios in their head, and they pick the better one. Absolutely. I'm going to assume the best about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Could be wrong, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you are better than this, yeah. better than the worst thing you've done, yeah. and you're going to make the changes necessary, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm trying to get better at doing that because I'm going to need that someday. Not, I don't yeah. do it just because of that, but I want to model that. Yeah. Yeah. So that even if people don't know how to respond, they're like, well, Nick was, he fucked up, but he was also so generous in how, he was profusely generous in how he welcomed as many kinds of people in as possible. Absolutely. So let's do that for yeah. him. And people, like, we're, we're, we're so easy to judge a situation without being in the situation. To your point, um, like, I don't, you don't know, and in the context, like, you, the situations are so specific, so... Again, if we use Stephanie as an example, right, working in the Trump White House at the time, I don't know what her family dynamic is. I don't know. I don't know what her family situation is. I don't know why she made the decisions that she made. I don't know her story, you know, and I don't know how that's tied to why she said yes to the things that she said yes to and what brought her here. And so because I don't know that, it feels kind of shitty to just assume that this person is evil you know, because again, yeah. like, and like when I think about the practice of Buddhism, the idea that it's not about right or wrong or good or bad, it's about appropriate and appropriate, it's about kind, unkind, it's about intentional, unintentional, which means we're not designating fault or accusing people of being evil or wrong, but it's like you made a decision in like karma. Like when we think about karma, karma, yeah. we tend to think about karma in the sense of if I do something good, if I do something bad, this is gonna happen, right? Like I'm gonna get bad back. Or if I do something good, I'm gonna get good back. Karma is not about that. And in that sense, it's like if I do a thing 
there's going to be a reaction to that yeah. thing. Not about good or bad. It's just karma. That's how karma shows up. It's not about how willfully and, and like how great you are as a person. Because there are great people who have sh- bad shit happen to them. Yeah. Like this. That's right. not karma. That's just like unfortunately. That's just life. That's life. Can't predict that. But like, I, what I can do is what, like, what can I control? And I can control how I show up for other people and for myself. And empathy, uh, empathy feels healthier to me. You know, like Tower Brock, um, she was uh, a wonderful mindfulness practitioner. And, and one of the conversations, what she said was, you know, like she know, like she's friends with activists. And like the ones who are angry, who are consistently angry, burn out the quickest. And of course, because the anger is, pa- the passion fuels things, but it is not healthy. Like the people that I love, like I love in these spaces, primarily like when I think of uh, Rachel Cargo, or I think of my homie Ebony Janice have moved away from anti-racism as like the leaning rhetoric. And it's more about black joy and black joy for black women. And like, Mm. that's the liberative practice. And like, that doesn't mean we're not talking about anti-racism as a practice, as a practice, but the idea that that liberation and joy lives in praxis to that. And if I'm not focusing on that, then I'm missing a big part of the work. The NAP ministry is focused on rest for a reason because the rest is is is, liber- is liberation, is revolutionary, especially in a, in a society that is deemed rest to, to, to be uh, a determining factor of how successful you can or can't be, you know? Um, we don't like holding space for for other things that live outside of just the anger is what's going to allow us to do more of the work that we need to do, I think, as a community. I love it. I love it. I, I didn't warn you about this before, so it's okay if it's a no. Do you have a, a spoken word or something that you can share, kind of maybe not off the top of your head, but something that you can just share with us? Um, and it's fine if not. Yeah. No, 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 no. I think I, I'm pretty sure I have. Hold on. I always got something. These people keep... <laughs> So, like, this company, I'm saying right now, don't do anything with MakeSpace. They've been calling me nonstop for, like, I didn't even place an order with them. It's like a storage company. They just keep calling. They just they keep, won't, they won't I've been blocked. I've different, I've blocked at least 10 different numbers. Granted, I could just be like, hey, stop calling me, y'all, but I, I, I'm I'm lazy. I like I like torturing myself. Um, <laughs> we all do a little bit. You know, I, um, I'll read something. Um, it doesn't even have to be spoken word necessarily. Just something that that um, you know is a little more organized in thought than what we're doing here, just to give people a taste of. Oh, you know. So we're gonna we're gonna. <laughs> um, I'm gonna read something that I started working on, um, and it's part of. It's gonna be part of my essay collection. I just need to find it, and it's about it's about um, uh, the essay that I started working on after my father. Um, Passed away. Mm. Um, if I can just find it, though, it's here. It's close. Where is it? Okay, here we go. Got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you think everybody else is dying, but your daddy. You think everyone else is vacating, but him. Mom tells the tale of dad's feet and how worn they were. He wore his combat boots and still had some even after Vietnam. I still have his army bag in her closet. I lost his leather jacket because I used it as a rehearsal piece for scene study in high school. I was so negligent with his things, his clothes, his story, his feelings. I was so angry at him for making me visit his crackhead girlfriend in Pensacola. I knew she was a crackhead because he prefaced it before I met her. 
At 14, all I could do is sigh and silently judge him. My father recorded a song on a tape about a friend of his who died due to age-related symptoms. The song was titled Crying About You. I remember because my cousin and I had to fight back our laughter. I look back now and I cringe because I can see how much my father was reaching for me in the only ways he knew how and how unreceptive I was to it all. I'm not exactly sure what you are supposed to do when your father dies, especially if and when he dies like you expected him to. I suppose one talks to your siblings. I left a voicemail for my sister. Her sweet southern sounding voice makes everything sound like it is dipped twice in a something I know I'm supposed to be fond of. I'm writing this still waiting to talk to her. I know I went about ignoring voicemails. Condolences make me tired, to be honest. It is the thing we are supposed to offer when we cannot deliver a pie or cake or dessert type item to someone's door. I talked to my brother about that this morning and I could hear the faint distilling of trauma of unhealed things peeking from out of our audio. He bear hugs his weight, succumbs and suffocates it well beyond its years. His poise under pressure is both familiar and unnerving. I am waiting for his spine to burst and for me to hold him in those pieces together with my open hands and arms. He has seen sides of my father I both knew in theory and in reality, the parts that only an eldest son could love and loathe with equal measure. I feel like I've always been preparing for my father to die. When my brother calls me, I know it's either really good news or really bad news. Mm. Um, and so when I, like, it was like in, in just preparation for the essay, you know, it, for me it was how, and like as a writer, it's like how do I get into the bones of what I'm trying to say? Like how can I be as most honest, honest and transparent but then also as as poetic as I can be? Right. You know, like Toni Morrison's always my, my north star yeah. when it comes to stuff like that. But that is a snippet of um, My Father is Dying. Mm. Essay. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, and I kind of want to, obviously, you're, we're speaking these ideas out loud to each other, and we're going back and forth, and there's some beauty in that as well. But there's something beautiful about, you know, I didn't want to have a, a writer on, <laughs> you know, without just, because there is something different about when you've had time to really sift through, take stuff out, move stuff around, try yeah. to be that, it's that tension yeah. of honesty and transparency, but also like, how do I make this readable, mm-hmm. right? You don't yeah. just want to vomit all the words out. You want yeah. to craft them. Yeah. And you can hear that when you're reading it. Like that was, you know, carefully crafted. Thank you, Thanks man. for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Let's wrap up with this. You've yeah. I, you've given me so much of your time and, and I hope we can do <laughs> it again great. Yeah, at man, some point. great. You give hope to a lot of people through your words, through your work, etc. But who slash what is giving you hope? Who slash what is feeding your soul, mind, and heart? Um, could be a person, an author, music. Like, what's keeping you sustained mm-hmm. so that you can even think the thoughts and, you know, put out the affirmations? Like, that's just, life's hard. Shit's hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, so who's keeping you balanced? What's keeping you balanced that you can do the work that you're doing? Um, it's a few things. Um, Buddhism. I think Buddhism. Um, and while while I wouldn't consider myself like a practicing Buddhist per se, mm-hmm. the practice of Buddhism has given me so much grounding, um, and and you know correlated with like a mindfulness practice of meditation and just like 
the focus on being present and being grateful and practicing gratitude has been a very big part of that. I think my daughters play a really big part in that. And I mean, if I'm being like Lila, you know, m more than anything else, you know, like I've put, I put so much energy into trying to create a, um, um, a human that would be as, uh, loving and as honest as I would want to have the world share, mm. you know, because she's not mine. You know, what West is not mine either. They're, they're children who I've been so fortunate enough to, to, to be allowed to help guide, you know, but they're not yeah. mine, yeah. you know, yeah. like I see that in them. Um, but I think those, those three things, those one thing and then two persons um, for sure. And then I think, you know, folks like you, man, I think, you know, we were talking earlier, I can't remember who we were recording now, but we were talking about, like, just being extroverts and loving people. You know, like, community is what I think drives also me. You know, like, as a person who does, like, words of affirmation mean so much. When I hear people say, your words mean this to me. Thank you for these words. I was going through this. I needed to hear this. I needed to see this. This came right on time. How are you in my head? And it's like, I am because I am you. You know, like, yep. we are intrinsically connected yes. and I'm very clear about what my purpose is here and sometimes I feel like I feel like I've been talking about um, death and grief and transition a lot and some of that might feel morbid to some people um, I haven't heard that but I can imagine um, but for me it's recognizing that um, I don't know how much time I have here yeah. you know and so how can I make use of that time in a way that is going to be impactful, that is going to matter, um, and that is going to leave something behind after I'm here for my children and my children's children and their friends and whomever to, to, to feel like they can find some level of peace and sanity and love in, you know? Yeah. Like that to me, and, and utilizing my art as the mechanic and as the vessel to do so. You know, like I'm very clear about the gift that I've been bestowed. And so like I, I, my daily goal is to honor it and the community reminds me of it, which is cool, you know? like. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The best leaders, artists, humans that I know think about death every day. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if, if you don't reflect on our really, like our fragility and our mortality, <sighs> Man, yeah. like you could die on the way home. Yeah. You could get hit yeah. by, you could cross yeah. in the street, your right of way, gone. Yeah. That's very plausible. Like that could happen. Same with me. Yeah. If we live not being paralyzed by that. But just knowing that that's a, 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 a it could happen today. Yeah, yeah. Well, then I'm not gonna fuck around today. Yeah. I might yeah. rest. I'm not saying we don't rest. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. we don't take a break yeah. and chill. Yeah. But even that rest is intentional. Absolutely. It's like if this is my last day, I would want to rest today. Yeah. If this is my last day. I would want to make something. Mm. Write a poem. Make a video. Call my friend. Go make that trip. Go do that thing. Some, yeah. You know, yeah. just the intentionality behind yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's why, like, I love leaving voice notes for people. Like, when a person comes to mind, I, I want to share that. Yeah. It's um, great. And then, like, I've been recording my mom recently, um, just like randomly. Like, she'll just be saying things. I have, like, a, a few voice notes from her. You know, yeah. she'll just be talking about stuff. And it's like, I want to keep that, you know? Um, and then I think, too, to your point, and I think that's such an excellent point that you bring up, Nick, the idea that, you know, it's like, live like every day is your last day is incredibly hard to do, impossible. I wouldn't advise anyone to do that. However, to your point, it's like, how do I want to show up today? And yeah. like, what do I want to offer myself in the world today? So like when people ask me, if there was one thing, if, the, if you could be doing anything in the world right now, and the thing or that you wouldn't be getting paid for, what would it be? And I'm like, the, the, what I'm doing right yeah. now. 
Yeah. Like the work that I'm doing right now is exactly what I want to be doing. It's the work I've been doing. It's just it's taking different iterations. And that's what I would want for anybody. Yeah. To like just do it. Like if you want to start a fashion label, I mean, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of folks just doing things just to do things, but I'm also at the mind that if something you feel called to do a thing that is not centered around profit, but like this is the thing that my heart is being called to do because I've cultivated a skill for it or because I want to get better at it, do it. Like yeah. It, it, it literally, I do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, like, just to your point, make it or rest on it or whatever. Just do something about it, you know? Joel Leon, thank you for sharing uh, your words and no, your heart with you, us. Man. This and um, this was super fun. I hope we get to do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for spending time with Joelle and me today. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. A sincere thanks to each and every one of you for showing up. I'm grateful for you. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out to me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.